All right, sweet. As I was mentioning, we're grateful to have uh, Pastor Nathan Dix with us today. And, uh, and so please do think of ways, even as he gives us an update, uh, that you might be able to partner. We've already been blessed. Uh, our, our network, our local church have been blessed by the ministry of RUF. And, uh, and so please uh, give attention and, uh, and, and really give consideration how we might be able to encourage and partner with him. So thank you, Nathan. Yeah. Well, thank you, Troy. Uh, my name is Nathan Dix, as Troy said earlier. Really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, I've been here a few times, but uh, it's always good to be down on the South Shore. Or I don't know if you consider this the South Shore. To me, I, I live in, in the heart of Boston, so this feels like the South Shore. But it's beautiful down here. And what I want to just share before I dive into reading the scripture and the word is just tell you a little bit about our ministry. It's RUF, uh, which a lot of people say rough. So we have a t-shirt that has a dog on it saying rough. Um, You can call it rough. That's fine. Uh, But it stands for Reformed University Fellowship. And it's the official campus ministry of the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. So um, I went to Clemson for college. And and for the most part, yeah, go, go Tigers, right? Uh, For the most part, I love that college can be an incredible time in life, uh, but it can also be a very difficult time. Uh, For me, I was surrounded by a lot of Christians, huge campus ministries, uh, but I was struggling. I was struggling in my faith. I was struggling in a lot of other ways, uh, aimless in many ways, studying architecture. Here I am, a pastor, so if that's any indication of what I was wrestling with during that time. Uh, but when I came to BU, it could not be more polar opposite than Clemson, right? No, no college football, hockey, right in the center of a city, you know, very unusual campus. Uh, but if, if I'm estimating correctly, and when I showed up, I asked how many Christians are a part of campus ministries here? And they said about 300. And there are 33,000 students at BU. I know all the more there have to be students who are just like me in college, aimless, confused, struggling, and spiritually wandering. And so I have the privilege of being able every week, uh, multiple times a week, to sit across from students who maybe have never heard these words, Jesus loves you. Uh, we, We gather around the word of God, we do Bible studies, we have a large group meeting, I meet with students one-on-one, but it is a privilege to be able to proclaim the good news that Jesus loves them, it's gonna be okay, that they have a future and a hope in him. So we'd love to have you partner with us mainly in prayer. If you'd like to give as well, we uh, would love that. R-U-F-B-U, I think it's printed in your bulletin. Uh, We'd love to, what we want is just every church in our area to know what's going on in our ministry. So I really appreciate um, Troy's friendship, and uh, I, I know a few others of you here, but we'd love to partner with you for you to know what's happening and sometimes an invisible part of our city, um, which is the college campus. Uh, so there's a lot of good things happening. We, we took a dozen students to a summer conference this past summer. We have students going on the mission field. We have students going into full-time ministry, uh, as well as their vocations and being a part of churches in the area. So yeah, a lot of good things to share. I'd love to share more. Um, and you can come up and talk to me afterwards. So yeah, let's get into our passage. It's Exodus 2 verses 23 through 25. And it's page 46 in your pew Bible.
Hear the word of the Lord. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let me pray as we get into the word. Father, we pray that your spirit would be here among us. Lord, we pray that you would illuminate your word, that you would help us to understand it. Lord, soften our hearts that we would know what you have for us right now, right here. How you want to change our lives, how you want to comfort us with your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. I have a full-time job. My wife is currently looking for work. There's, there's a lot of stress in life just normally. I feel like my wife and I are in a season where we're particularly under a lot of stress. And there's this song by Jason Isabel called Anxiety. And it says, give me a minute. I'm way down in it. And I, I think about that a lot of times. And sometimes I even tell my boys and my wife, give me a minute. <laughs> give me a minute. Just need, I'm overwhelmed. I just need to to sit and to, to think and, and maybe pray. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you're in a season of life where things are just overwhelming. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of suffering maybe in your life. When you encounter seasons of struggle, of hardship and of suffering, what do you do? How do you act? How do you pray? Most importantly, where is God in those moments? When I was growing up, my mother read aloud to us every night, and it was a great you know, thing that we did most nights of the week, but we would often get to a point in the story, and it was, it was always engaging to all of us, all four of us, um, that we would get to a point in the story, but then it would be like 10 o'clock and we'd have to go to bed. But we were so excited to know what happens next because it was an exciting point in the story, right? So we, we, we found out later that when my mom would send us to bed, she would stay up and read the story and find out what happens. And sometimes she would let it slip that she knew what was going to happen at the end of the story. I don't know about you guys, but when you're in a season of suffering, when you're in a season of struggle, wouldn't it be nice just to be able to skip ahead to the last pages and see, does the, does the hero make it out? Is everything going to be okay in the end? Well, our passage this morning is kind of that zoom out, skip ahead perspective, both for the story of the people of God in Exodus, but also for us, that when we are suffering, God hears our cries and he remembers, he remembers us. Our passage, if you were to read the context of chapter one and two, it kind of gives us context of the people of God, the Hebrew people in Egypt, in slavery. Now, this was not just a season. This was not even just a lifetime. This was 430 years that they were in Egypt. This was a prolonged period of extraordinary suffering for the people of God. It seemed that maybe God didn't care, that he was absent, that he had forgotten them, that he was going to let the worst happen to them. And the chapter two introduces this man named Moses. We'll talk about him a little later. 
And then 23 through 25, the verses I just read, give us this glimpse of hope that God is going to deliver. I have uh, just one sentence that I want you to remember, and I'm going to break it down into two points. It's a two-point sermon. Uh, When God's people groan and cry out to him, God hears and remembers. When God's people groan and cry out to him, God hears and remembers. First, we're going to talk about groaning and crying. Next, we're going to talk about God hearing and remembering. So let's talk about groaning. Groaning is a strange thing. It's this involuntary act. Like it's, it's when words don't even, they wouldn't suffice. We, we groan when we're in pain. We groan even before we know how to speak. Um, it's a creaturely primal thing when we're, when we're suffering. Um, sometimes even our stomachs groan, maybe around 1130, around this time. You might hear your stomach groan because it's almost lunchtime. Um, well, the people of God called Israel had a serious case of groaning stomachs once. They were suffering from starvation because there was a famine in the land. And the second youngest son of this, this family called Israel had been in Egypt, and I'll tell you why in a little bit, but he had been climbing the ranks of the kingdom, and he had this genius grain-saving plan, and he was able to deliver his family, his people, from death, from starvation, because he was able to invite them into Egypt and feed them with the grain that they had. Now, how did this happen? Well, it happened because Joseph's brothers intended to kill him because they hated him so much, but instead they sold him into slavery in Egypt. But Joseph, in this incredibly profound moment when he encounters his brothers who've come to him to be fed in the famine, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And now, several years later, the people of Israel were living in Egyptian lands. They were multiplying greatly. Um, They had been saved from this famine. But now they had become enslaved. In appearances, it seemed that what Joseph, Joseph's line, what God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, actually the opposite was true. That what God meant for good has actually resulted in great evil. Right? Why would God move them from a place of starvation, of famine, to being saved and delivered only to be brought into the land of a people who would enslave them? This seems worse, almost. Prolonged suffering. The oppression increased exponentially as the number of Israelites increased. Uh, Their work was brutal. Their masters were ruthless. They were building cities. They were doing back-breaking labor. But yet they were multiplying. They were having children. And the Egyptian king was threatened by this. And he commanded that all sons born to Hebrew women be drowned in the Nile River. What he was attempting was systematic extinction of the Hebrew people. So the groans of this backbreaking labor were to be mixed with the groans of grief over lost sons. Now, it's no accident that these two areas of life, work and childbirth, 
are the things that God's enemies attack. If you go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve were commanded to be fruitful and multiply, to do work, have children, fill this earth that God had just created. The curse of the fall, when sin entered the world, it greatly affected, and specifically, God named how it would affect both work and childbirth. Now, in normal, ordinary circumstances, childbirth is painful. Ask any mother here. There's much joy associated with childbirth, but there's also much pain. Now, imagine being in a place where you want to have children and you cannot. Having medical complications surrounding childbirth. Having uh, children uh, that are, are, are difficult. There, there are so many ways that we can see both the joy and the suffering. Work. We love work most of the time, right? We choose jobs that we, that we want to do. We try, right? But we all know all too well how a bad day at work can set your whole week off. Sadly, it's most, most of the time has to do with relationships at work. A boss that just is just such a micromanager. Uh, teammates that you don't get along with. All of these things make us groan. We all experience these effects of the fall. Paul writes that creation groans because of the fall. Now, there are ordinary, what I've been kind of mentioning is kind of ordinary suffering because of the fall. And then there's extraordinary suffering. There are extraordinary times when all of those things in work and in child rearing and all of life become all the more harder. Imagine being enslaved. Imagine having a family giving birth to children as you are enslaved. This is hard for us to imagine. We shouldn't forget, though, that all too recently, this was a reality in our own country. It's easy to think about history as distant, but we shouldn't forget that there is a real underground sex slave trade in our country, in the world. Imagine the suffering that is taking place, this extraordinary suffering. All of these things are results of the fall. Verse 23 and 25 says that the people of Israel cried out for help and rescue from their suffering. The Cure has a great song, Boys Don't Cry. Some of you know that song. <laughs> Sometimes it seems like the church, and, and different churches are different. I don't want to presume how, how you guys are, but sometimes it seems like in the church we sing, Christians don't cry. That when you show up to church, you better hold yourself together. But friends, I want to tell you, and I'm a crier, so it's good for me to hear this. We cry. Christians cry. Let me give you a few examples. Psalm 57, 2. I cry out to God most high. Psalm 69, 3. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. 
Psalm 88.1, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Now, we groan. All of us groan. But do we cry out? Now, of course, when I'm, when I'm talking about crying, I'm talking about crying out to God, crying out for help. I think some of the three reasons that I, I thought of, reasons why we don't cry out to God for help in the midst of our suffering. One, we don't feel that we're weak. We feel that we're strong. We don't feel that we should be dependent. We feel that we want to be independent individuals, isolated, self-reliant. And lastly, it's because we're sort of resigned or indifferent to the suffering. To cry out means you've gotten to the end of yourself, you know that you're weak, and you cry out to God. To cry out means that you know you are not independent, you are not self-reliant, that you need others, that you need God, inviting others to cry out with you in your suffering. And lastly, to cry out to God in prayer is to say, this is not okay. I'm not resigned to let things remain the way they are. This is not the way it's supposed to be. To cry out is from a place of weakness, of dependence. It's not resignation. It's the opposite. So the Israelites, they were in bondage. Right? They were in deep, extraordinary suffering. They cried out to God. Maybe some of you know what it's like to cry out to God. Maybe some of you, you, these psalms about nights filled with crying out to God, you've been there. You have something to teach us. Does God hear our cries? Does God hear the cries of the oppressed, of those who are suffering? Verse 24 and, and 23 So the cries went up to God, and God heard their groan. This is good news. God heard the groaning of Israel. I want to stop and ask what might seem like an odd question. Why did God hear? Was it because it was just loud enough for him up in heaven? Was it because it was was perfect crying? They said the right formula of a prayer. No, it's something far more mysterious. Chapter 1, verse 8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now Joseph was this mediator between uh, the king of Egypt and, and all the kingdom of Egypt, all the people of Egypt, and his people, right? He had, he had gotten in the favor of Pharaoh, of the king, so that he represented and he acted as this goodwill Uh, representative for the Hebrew people. Now that Joseph had died, that goodwill, that knowledge of that relationship that had existed between the Egyptians and the Hebrew people diminished over time. So the king of Egypt did not know them. Not only did he not know them, he didn't care about them. Not only did he not care about them, no, he was threatened by them and he despised them. Right? He, he spent a lot of time thinking about how to eradicate this people from his land. 
Now the king of Egypt didn't know them. But who knew them? Chapter 2, 25. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Now, the king of Egypt is a king over one people, over one land. His sovereignty had limits. God, the king over all creation, He's a king over not just one land, one people, over all peoples, over all the earth, the heavens and the earth, the entire cosmos are under his control. And that God heard the groaning of his people, Israel. He heard their cries. And friends, if you are a Christian, he knows you. He hears you. You, he has set his ears to be attuned to your cries and to your prayers. He sees your suffering. Yes, you sitting here today. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. Not a hair can fall. We, we lose hair when we're anxious, right? When we're stressed. Not one hair can fall and go down that bathroom drain without God the king of the universe, knowing. He knows you. This summer, I went on a a vacation to Florida, as as many of you uh, probably do, but in the winter. There's a reason you don't go in the summer. Um, It was was kind of a family reunion. There were six kids, six adults, and it was the first time uh, all my side of the family had been together with all of our kids, and it was a great time. But there's a lot of crying, crying both from the kids and the adults. Um, and, and, and the funny thing was, is, you know, you're, you're sitting around, you're at the beach or whatever we're doing, and, and, you know, you hear a cry. And the interesting thing was you, you immediately try to discern, is that my child, right, if you're one of the parents? Um, and, it, you, you know, if I sit around and, okay, I hear a cry, it sounds a little not my son's cry. You just kind of look around, and your parents know, you kind of look around, make sure somebody's taking care of that child, right? But you don't immediately jump to, right? Because they're not your child. But if they are your child, you know their cry. (laughs) They have kept you up at nights with their cries. And instinctually, what I, I noticed, and this is especially true for my wife, more than even me. When you hear the cry of your own son, your own child, you don't just perk up, you immediately get up. You don't just sit there, you act because they are your child. Friends, this is good news for us. If we are God's children, he knows the sound of our cries. He hears us. And best of all, he doesn't just sit there. He acts. Verse 24 continues that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. This is a part of his acting to deliver his people from their suffering. His covenant with Abraham was to make of Abraham's descendants this great nation 
like more than the sand on the seashore. Um, and they would inhabit this land and there would be this prosperity, this season of peace. How could this be? A promise that still stood. How could this covenant still stand when here the people of Israel, God's people, the descendants of Abraham, who had received that promise as well, how could it be that that promise still was good if they're on the brink of extinction? They're enslaved in Egypt, their babies were being killed. Well, God acted by sending an unlikely deliverer. Now, remember, the king of Egypt had commanded that the male babies be delivered upon, uh, be, be, be killed, sorry, upon delivery, but female babies could live. There was one mother who, instead of obeying this command, uh, saved Moses, probably with the help of uh, her midwife. And when he reached an age when he could no longer be hidden, uh, she made a, a boat for him out of, out of a basket and floated him down the Nile and had someone follow. And this basket with Moses in it uh, came into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, right? And Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses, brought her into uh, the palace, and he grew up. He, he escaped death once. There's another time that he escaped death. It was when he was out And he saw one of his people, the Israelites, being beaten by an Egyptian. And in a fit of rage at this kind of righteous indignation, he killed the Egyptian man. And he became a fugitive. He was running for his life. And he went to a a foreign place and became a shepherd when he was in exile. And it was through this man, Moses, this unlikely deliverer, that God would rescue his people from their slavery in Egypt. Now, this is a a relatively well-known story. Maybe you've seen the Prince of Egypt or you just grew up knowing the story of, of God delivering his people. It's a great story. But notice the particularities of it. Right? There's strange details, like this, this basket covered in tar for it to be a floating boat for this little baby. How strange, how odd. Right? It's in the particularities, in the details, in the specifics, how God works to rescue his people. This is all throughout Scripture. These details actually matter, and they should matter to you and I, because the details of your suffering how you are struggling right now, they matter to God. And God is going to deliver you from them. He is going to bring you out of Egypt, if you will. Notice some other particularities of a different time, a different place, the time of Jesus' birth. King Herod ordered the slaying of all baby boys under a certain age. Does that sound familiar? This time, it wasn't an Egyptian king, it was a Jewish king. He felt threatened by an uprising, right? His power was threatened by this potential king of the Jews that was to be born. This baby was named Jesus. Joseph and Mary to escape this, this threat, left. Where'd they go? They went to Egypt. 
How ironic, how odd. That place of slavery was now a place of refuge. The table had turned. Why would Jesus need to come? Well, friends, the, the story in between Moses and Jesus shows that the promised land wasn't really it. That wasn't really the final resting place for God's people. Moses really wasn't it. He didn't even get to go into that promised land. There had to be a deliverer greater than, more perfect than, actually perfect, God's only son to be sent to deliver his people from a bondage far greater than any slavery that a human can have power over you. The power of sin is what Jesus came to break. Friends, I don't know where you are at in your life, in your walk spiritually, but hear this, that apart from Jesus, you are enslaved to sin. You are enslaved. And the good news I have for you is that if you come to him, if you cry out to Jesus, you can be set free. You can be set free. And Jesus says, he, him who the son has set free is free indeed. You can be free. You can. This is the gospel. That things don't remain the way they are. But there is hope. There is deliverance. This deeper slavery, the slavery of the soul, can only be broken by the one who created souls to begin with. The one who can buy them back. I was traveling at a conference in Denver, Colorado. I go out there for work a couple times a year. And as I'm sure some of you know, maybe you're from from out west, but the sky is huge. The sky is enormous. You can just see forever. So at the end of the day, one of the conferences, I I went out. I like to run. I'm not a good runner, but I I like to do it. And uh, I checked my weather app. There was rain in the middle of the day, but the weather app told me that the rain was going to stop. But I step outside, and then this huge sky, you know, I'm, I'm out maybe half a mile. There's dark clouds. And I'm, I'm used to, you know, seeing a little bit of lightning. That's kind of as a faint. But when you see, like, flashes of lightning and peals of thunder in a sky as big as it is in Colorado, it's a little scary. <laughs> Especially when you're out in the middle of an open field running through it. It's a little scary. I was a little scared. I've got to be honest. And I was counting, you know, I was a Boy Scout, so I was counting how many seconds were between the flash and the bang, right? But even then, it felt so close, and the rain was coming down. I was like, this is a terrible decision. I'm going to die. Nobody knows I'm out here. I'm going to get struck by lightning. This is it. Until I turned this corner. And yes, immediately, the sermon application came into mind as I saw this amazing break in the clouds. These dark clouds parted, and between these two peaks in the Rockies, not making this up, this bright sun shone because it was still early, still the middle of the day. Friends, sometimes our suffering feels like we are surrounded by dark clouds. Sometimes when we're in the middle of extraordinary suffering, it feels like it's only getting worse. 
that this is it. This is how it's going to end. You alone in your suffering. No one hearing you. No one caring. When Jesus died on a cross, it was midday. It said a great darkness came over the place where Jesus was crucified. On that cross, Jesus was crying out. But to all those who were there, it seemed as though God was not hearing. It appeared as though all hope was lost. It appeared that Jesus' wounds, that his suffering were being ignored by his Father. But that Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. He showed us that no matter how dark it gets, his light shines brighter. John says the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is our light. When we pray, we don't pray for for just miracles to happen, to alleviate our suffering. Now, we pray for something far greater, that in eternal life, not just in our lifetimes, but that we would be taken care of, that God would hear us, that he would save us, that he would love us forever. And friends, he has come. The miracle has happened on that cross. And three days later, when he raised, our bonds are broken. We are set free. Death has no power. Sin has no power over us. Come to Jesus. He has risen for us. He's greater than Moses. Believe in him. Keep believing in him. He's not deaf. He has heard your cries. He's not forgotten. He remembers. And it gets better. He's coming again to finally and fully rescue all of his people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we need you. Lord, we pray that you would uh, deliver all of us. Lord, help us in our suffering. For those here who are in, in deep suffering, Lord, we pray for your deliverance. We pray that uh, their cries would be heard. Lord, I pray that this church would, would come around anyone who's suffering, anyone who needs help and support. Lord, that we would, as a, as a church, as your people, cry out to you to help. Lord, we thank you so much that in Christ, we know that the final word that you hear and that you deliver and that you've remembered your promise to us, there's a period on that. It's final, it's set. We know, you know us. Lord, you taught us to pray. You taught us how to cry out to you in the Lord's prayer. Let's pray that together.